Hello, I'm Laurie Havelock, and I'm here at another Mindshare event. This time, it's Speakeasy 2017. Working alongside John Walter Thompson, Mindshare produced a report investigating the landscape of voice recognition technology and how this will come to shape our day-to-day lives in the years to come. They used both quantitative and qualitative research methods to build up a picture of how people currently view and utilise voice technology. And then from there they hypothesise how this outlook might change as the technology develops. Today's panel on the future of voice will be led by BBC Click's LJ Rich. She's joined by leading experts Duncan Anderson from IBM, Adam Martin from Acast, Heather Andrews from NeuroInsight and Joe Evans from Enders Analysis. Let's have a listen. Now, to keep those brains on track, our host for the next hour or so is presenter, writer, producer, musician and self-confessed geek, LJ Rich. LJ is probably best known for her role in covering technology trends for the BBC News Click programme, but she also has a master's degree in music, so sound is very much one of her specialist subjects. Please welcome to the stage... LJ Rich. I'm here. <laughs> Hello there. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? All right? Good? Yes? Everyone's good. Brilliant. Me too. And we've got our panellists here, which I will introduce to you very shortly. A um, couple of lines to start. First of all, sound, as we've been hearing, is an incredibly powerful way of communicating. So it's no surprise that more than anything, we want to do that with our technology. We want to talk to our technology the way we talk to other human beings. Yesterday, I asked Siri to turn my lights on at home. I asked Alexa to add uh, eggs to my shopping list. And I asked Hive through Alexa to turn my heating on because it was a little bit cold. So quick show of hands. How many of you have controlled technology with your voice this week? Yesterday? Okay, that's not too bad, actually. Um, I'm, I'm not just talking about Siri, Alexa, Cortana. I, I'm also talking about the chatbots you might have spoken to on, online, using IVR during a call to your bank, insurance company, or airline. You know the one. Human. I want to speak to a human. Human. Person. <laughs> the fact is, is that as we are hearing parity with humans and machines, it's getting to the point where it's going to become more difficult to tell them apart. So voice-activated technology has quietly crept up on us. Does anyone remember Star Trek The Voyage Home with Scotty talking into his mouth? Computer! Does anyone else remember that? Was it just me? I mean, I thought at the time, how ridiculous. Isn't that strange? That film was made 30 years ago, and today we think nothing of asking our smartphones questions in a natural language format. Machines are now beginning to recognise emotions as part of the evolution of voice recognition. I've uh, had a conversation with Pepper the Robot, which is from Japan. Uh, It uses facial recognition to detect the emotion of the person it's talking to. And even, uh, I think, Sharp have a phone that they call Emopa, the emotional partner. And what that does is not only when it needs charging, it says, which basically means I'm hungry. So it's interacting with you as a sort of human. But it also says things like, you've got a big meeting tomorrow, so maybe you should go to sleep now instead of staying out all night at this rather nice restaurant. So, you know, you're getting this sort of conversational aspect already with our devices, certainly in Japan. Uh, I wanted to also mention that many of us humans can guess how someone is feeling when they say, I'm fine. (laughs) The margin of error might be a bit variable. 
Um, I, I can tell what key people are speaking in, which gives me more of a clue, but machines aren't quite there yet. If you say to Alexa, I'm fine, it doesn't really care. But imagine calling your bank and a machine can detect how stressed you are when you're asking for a loan. It's not far off. So today we're going to talk about the future of voice. Ideally, I'd like us to open a conversation. There's no way all of us are going to have all the answers, even with our expert panel here. But we're going to start a debate about what's to come. And there may even be time for a few questions if you're up for that. So a few things to get everybody thinking creatively. What if our technology understands more than it's letting on? I know that for a fact, actually. How do we deal with the voice version of the uncanny valley, that line between convenience and creepiness? And what happens when context-sensitive audio analysis takes hold, where we're going past voice recognition and into voice comprehension? Okay, with that spinning in your brains, it's meeting the panellists' time. We're going to start with Joseph Evans. Joseph is a senior research analyst in the media team. He writes about the internet and technology and its impact on traditional media, advertising and consumer services. He's led research on ad blocking, the evolution of mobile platforms and the rise of voice interfaces. Joseph holds a BA in philosophy and theology from the University of Oxford. Jolly good. (laughs) (laughs) Heather Andrews, Heather's next. Heather is the founder and CEO of NeuroInsight in the UK, a marketer by background. She has over 30 years experience in marketing, market research and media strategy. Since it was set up six years ago, Heather has run NeuroInsight in the UK, managing projects analysing brain responses to communication with a view to maximising its effectiveness within and across different media. Cool. Okay, next we have Duncan Anderson. This is a great panel, by the way. I'm really going to enjoy this. Duncan Anderson is the European CTO for IBM Watson. That's the uh, AI that won Jeopardy very famously. In fact, IBM keeps making devices that win things, the chess, deep bloom, all that. Anyway, he leads the European technical team for one of the world's foremost AI cognitive computing efforts. He works with customers and technologists of all types and backgrounds to help bring the promise of cognitive computing to reality. Try saying that early in the morning. And finally, we've got Adam Martin. Uh, Having sold his last venture, WorkFoo, in December 2012, he's currently Chief Content Officer at Acast, a Swedish startup disrupting the audio-on-demand space. Adam is responsible for signing media-first audio partnership deals with a raft of emerging podcast talent, including My Dad Wrote a Porno, not my dad, obviously, uh, (laughs) Lena Dunham, Dan Snow, and Adam Buxton. As we saw earlier, the hashtag is speakeasy2017. And I think we're going to start, Joe, with a question for you. It's quite a big question to start. Uh, What has been the reason, do you think, for the growth of voice? So I think in terms of the current uh, growth that we're seeing in voice, it's really enabled by uh, new technology. Uh, So I think we heard Marie said in her talk about how, uh, you know, voice recognition has, has been improving and natural language processing has been improving. And on top of that, you also have a, a text-to-speech so that the computer actually has a voice. And these things have all reached a point where we can now have a product which is you know, just about good enough that we can see what voice could be like at some point in the future. And then at the same time, on the consumer side, uh, you know, we're getting connected in places where traditional modes of interaction with computers don't really work. You know, in the car, on wearables, uh, on TVs, where voice is a sort of more natural way of, of communicating. So I think that's, that's behind the, the, the growth that we're seeing right now, but it's also plugging into 
this kind of deep latent demand, right? You mentioned Star Trek, right? But if you if you look at any 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 kind of sci-fi depiction of the computers of the future, um, voice is seen as the sort of ultimate aim of how we interact with computers. Uh, and I think I think Amazon explicitly called out Star Trek as you know their, their inspiration. But you know it's also in two thousand and one, which I hope they didn't use as inspiration. <laughs> uh, but you know, so so there's this, this kind of like deep latent demand for for voice, which is our kind of most powerful and flexible tool that we use to manipulate the world every day, uh, and and now we're just starting to get the technology where we can see where it's going to be and we can start rolling it out to people's homes. Mm-hmm. Yes, in fact, uh, if you do ask Alexa, open the pod bay doors, it does have some. Uh, Easter eggs built in. And I do, I do think that there is this element of trying to make voice interaction more friendly, less creepy. And I guess um, in terms of reaction to voice, Heather, it's a great opportunity to bring you in here. How are consumers reacting to voice? They are embracing it, but over time. So at the moment, it was quite interesting. Even the course, as Jeremy said, of 20 minutes during which we um, had headsets on when measuring responses, um, there was a massive shift in the way people responded. So first question that they, first time they had to interact with Alexa, there was this really strong emotional withdrawal. People felt very silly. They felt uncomfortable. They didn't know what was going to happen. There was then this very tense moment where they were waiting for a response. And it was actually the most negative part of the whole experience because they didn't quite know what was going to happen. Are they actually going to get the answer they wanted? And at the point where the response came out, there was this massively positive reaction because it was suddenly, actually, it doesn't work. I don't look like a complete idiot, you know, talking to this thing. It's talking back to me. Um, And by the time they were asking the second, third, fourth question, much more natural. And even in the course of a very short interaction... And I think in the real world, it's going to be very interesting going forward. I think it's, it's a little bit like when you, you, know, you have a, um, a new boyfriend or girlfriend, and you're very forgiving of what they do to start with. Um, so at the moment, even if people are getting the wrong answer from Alexa, the fact that they're getting an answer at all, they're massively relieved and they're very positive. As time goes on, it's going to be, for goodness sake, don't give me that silly old answer again. You know, tell me something more clever. More, more. So I think people get much more demanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think as we are in human relationships, and I think the way we respond to things like Alexa will mirror the way we, we build relationships in the real world. Mm. There's, there's certainly something very odd about the first time you interact with new technology. And there's normally quite a steep learning curve when you pick up a new piece of technology and you, you try and interact with it. Whereas we've been using our voices now for, well, quite a while. Um, so I think maybe, Duncan, from IBM, we can ask, what do you think needs to happen to voice technology in order for it to reach its potential? Well, I think there's a lot of talk about accuracy, and I think mentioned earlier was we're kind of at the level of human levels of accuracy already. But there's a lot of detail behind a statement like that, um, and it depends on, for example, your accent. There's a very famous YouTube clip of some Scottish guys talking to a voice-controlled lift and failing miserably to get this lift to go to the floor they want to go to. Um, so if you're unlucky enough to have a strong regional accent, you're probably going to be a little bit challenged today, even, even with the, the great things like Amazon uh, Echo. Um, so really, it's, it's, it's all about accuracy. Um, and in this space, uh, typically, we, we, we look at uh, word error rates. So what's the error rate we're going to get on transcribing speech? And we're usually fluctuating around about 5% error rates. But at this level, every single percentage point, every decimal point matters. So the difference between um, 5.1 and 5.9 is, is everything. It can mean the difference between people thinking this is great and thinking it's completely rubbish. So, so there is still work to do. Um, we, we had some uh, research we did in our labs. Uh, we recently released a report about it where we'd 
advanced to an, another few percentage points of accuracy, which was a huge achievement. You know, moving from, from five to five point, sorry, from 5.9 to 5.1 is a massive achievement. Um, it, it, sounds, it sounds little, but it, it's everything. Uh, and I think also in um, you know, things like Amazon Echo, you, you tend to be issuing a specific command. So you're talking quite clearly because you're, you're speaking to this device and you're issuing a command and the, and the system only ha- has a, a set of things it could be. So it doesn't need to be immensely accurate because if I, if I mumble to you and say something and you're not quite sure what I said but you know that I said one of five things, you can guess more or less what, I've, what I'm likely to have said. And a, a lot of these devices where you're issuing commands are working on that kind of basis, which is very different to having a device in the corner here listening to us talk and chat and trying to transcribe everything we say. Um, that's a, an immensely more difficult task to do. Uh, so, so I think we'll, we'll, as the technology matures, we will get into a space where these devices become much more sophisticated and can, they're not so much guessing, they can actually truly understand and represent exactly everything we say at a very accurate level regardless of our regional accents. But there's still a lot of work to get there. I mean, following on from that question, do you think it's just a matter of processing? Because a long time ago, there was a sort of speech recognition was a big deal, eight or nine years ago. I did a feature for it for the telly, and I learned about this thing called the hidden Markov model, where you you disambiguate a word, i.e., are you going to say pan? Are you going to say pan-fried, panda, or pandemonium? And each syllable requires a lot of computer thinking to work out what on earth you're saying. And uh, so is it just a matter of processing? Uh, Processing power is part of it. Um, So if you have all the money in the world, you can buy a very sophisticated computer and it can be very good because it can just brute force it, essentially. Mm. But the the underlying machine learning technologies and artificial intelligence that allow it to do some of this guessing, that's getting better all the time as well. Um, So it's a combination, really, of, of the science and the brute power. You know, as things get faster. Brilliant. Okay, Adam, you are a podcast disruptor. Yes. And you are no stranger to quite a lot of audio. And I think in terms of brands and what they should do to deal with the rise of the voice, what, what do you think? I think it's a, a, an interesting kind of step shift. I think the kind of the day of kind of the social media mavens and kind of agencies hiring those people is perhaps coming to a kind of an end or it's suddenly changing. Uh, and the copywriter, who kind of never went away within kind of the advertising world, is coming back to the fore. A lot of what we see with kind of um, with voice to text is, that, is literally that kind of trans, translational piece. It's people actually writing the responses of the Alexa and kind of the virtual assistant. So I think when brands talk about tone of voice, often they've meant lots of many things in a kind of multifaceted, kind of fragmented world, be it kind of social media above the line. Now, actually, that's becoming a reality. Tone of voice has become the most important thing. And I think brands and agencies need to think, how do we sound? How do we want to sound? Because voice is many things and works for human beings and how we process it on, on many levels. Tonality is hugely important. And a brand is going to have to think about how they represent themselves in, a, in, in an entirely different landscape than they ever did before. Actually, one of the things we've seen in, in podcasting, just kind of very briefly, is that when the, the host of a show, so Adam Buxton in this instance, talks about or endorses a particular brand, the uplift on that is markedly different from a pre-recorded piece of creative that's been done by 
an advertising agency. And there's a sense of the listener has a, an inbuilt relationship with that voice, with the tone of voice. When it guides them somewhere to make a purchase or a recommendation, we compute it and take it much more seriously. So I think we're, we're at that stage where brands have this extraordinary kind of um, you know, tool set to play with in terms of what they do. How they do it is going to be really interesting to see, I think. So tonality and trust, um, I'd like to bring Heather back in here because I think talking about uh, emotional connections, what do you think brands need to think about, or in fact anybody, when it comes to emotion recognition and, you know, where's the future with this? I think, as Adam said, it's people... uh, I think brands have to start thinking in a very different way, and I think sound generally, particularly voice, has been very underplayed in the way that brands have thought about themselves. If you look at... Every marketing company's got a brand house or a brand onion or a brand arrow. They don't have sounds in them. They're all visual. Um, and yet it'll become incredibly important. Um, and that tone of voice really matters. When you're talking, there's something very interesting in our brains. It's part of the brain called the orbitofrontal cortex. And it's a bit like a set of shutters. It can come down. If, if we think we're being sold to very overtly, this part of your brain comes down and says, I know what you're doing. You're trying to sell to me. I'll, I'll just sit back and I'll take in some of the information, but I'm not going to be persuaded. Um, and so a, what a lot of successful brands do is get in under the radar. Um, and subtle brand cues can do that. Um, it's why brands appropriate things like sounds and colours, because we can com- communicate a brand without a selling message. Mm-hmm. And exactly the way you're talking about you having a human person talking about a brand is very different yeah. to a commercial selling a brand. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot more consideration by brands about that subtler interaction that can sort of get in under the radar and bypass this part of the brain that knows it's being sold to. So it's a big opportunity. Yeah, huge Mm -hmm. opportunity. I mean, if you are working in sales, it's always quite nice to be sold to very well, isn't it? You think, oh, yes, you've done a good job. Here's some money. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think there is is something strange going on here, and this is where, Joe, I'd like to bring you in, in terms of our dependence on voice as as a transaction, as a way to interact. Do you think... Um, that we could become as reliant on voice interaction as we are on our screens. And, yeah. I think it's difficult to know right now. Um, I, th- I think that we could probably become... I think we're undoubtedly going to become more reliant on voice than on screens in certain circumstances. But, you know, keyboards aren't going to go away and, and touch interfaces aren't going to go away. And I think we have to be cognizant of the, the limits of voice and that there are places where it's not really going to be appropriate. And I think one of the things that the report... Uh, does really well is, 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 is say, you know, there are social norms which aren't going to change very quickly around people, you know, talking to computers on the bus or in the streets, right? Uh, but in terms of places like the home or in the car, uh, I think that voice will probably become the primary means of, of uh, interacting with computers just because it's, it's, you know, once computers can actually deal with natural language, it's just so much easier. And, and, and as, uh, as was mentioned earlier, you know, we're cognitive misers. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's what it is, that humans just want to be really lazy and just sort of <laughs> yowl at a machine to do their bidding? Yeah, yeah. No, we want a we kind of digital mum who can just sort all our problems out <laughs> and we yell for it. Text has become, you know, emojis. You know, I'm slightly too old, but my, kind of, <clears throat> my children are all over it and, and amusing me greatly with it. You know, emojis and GIFs are, are signs. You know, we're, we're, we're substituting text, a way of kind of naturally speaking, for, for signs. Um, and images that kind of move, it puts more of a primacy on voice than ever before, I think. And I only kind of bring this up because, weirdly, we got pitched this kind of rather strange idea to, for an Alexa skill, which was to describe emojis and then be able to send those to a person. And I thought, <laughs> why are you doing this via voice when you could just kind of type in the emojis? But it's, 
It's interesting to see how one medium becomes signs and the other medium, voice, starts to rise and, and the intonation, the differences in voice become that much more important. We're at that real, I mean, brand people talk about inflection points greatly and technologists talk about inflection points. I genuinely think we are at one of those, technology, those inflection points and I see it often through the lens of your own children, that next generation of people and how they're engaging and interacting with these devices I think starts to, to pave the path for how this is going to play out a little bit. Mm. See, I can see just one problem with um, voice at the moment which I'd like to bring you in on, uh, Duncan, which is this. Alexa, bring me some water. <laughs> We're not quite there yet. So what do you think we need in order to integrate the systems of voice with a sort of physio- physical kind of interaction? Now, I'm aware this might be slightly outside of your specialist area, but I think that there is something in what needs to happen, the gap almost, between that frictionless encounter. Mm. I mean, I know that Amazon are doing drone delivery, but can you see any, any sort of future there with interacting with systems integration, I guess? Uh, I, think the, I think somebody mentioned about the, the lack of a screen. Um, and I find myself, I have an Amazon Echo at home, and I, I use it quite a lot for listening to music. And I find myself a bit... Sort of my brain freezes. I can't think of what music I want to listen to because there's no visual cues. Whereas if I go on my computer and scroll through my library of music, there's the visual cues for the things I like to listen to. Um, and even in a voice sense, um, you know, if we were chatting about music, you, know, you would say something and I'd say, oh, that's a great band. And I remember when they played that and I was at that concert. And we'd spark off of each other and we would think of things we wanted to listen to. But Currently, these things don't do that. They just, they're pretty dumb. They sit there and they say, what do you want? And you have to know what you want to tell them. Uh, and it feels to me like the next stage is how do they give you the inspiration? How do they say, how do they have that conversation which sparks the ideas of, oh, yeah, it's Miles Davis I want. Oh, he's great. I remember that track. Yeah, what was it called? And the thing could respond to that vague request and say, well, there's a really famous track he played at such and such a theatre or something, and we could have that conversation. That feels to me the, 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 the missing link at the moment, and maybe a screen as well, because we're kind of talking about these things as if it's only voice, but I have this sneaky suspicion the reason that Google Home and Amazon Echo don't have a screen is because that makes them cheap and they want to gain market share, it's, it's, a, it's a new space, so you make it cheap in order to get people to buy it as a bit of a novelty factor. I, I have a suspicion as these things mature, we'll see screens being added to them, again, to give you a bit more of that cue so you can have a bit more of a natural feeling about what is it I want, and the thing can make suggestions, put images up on a screen, etc., and, and really spark the brain to think a bit deeper. There's an interesting statistic I looked at in the, in the report earlier, and I can't remember the, the exact um, percentage, but it was about the, the appeal of celebrity voices and what they signify for people. And I think it's not just about the voice. People are wedded to the notion of celebrity and influencers because there's an aspirational quality to it. You know, The Kardashians, you're kind of looking at that, you have a sense of who those people are and what they think. It's beyond the voice. I think that personality, it's not just about the voice, it's the personality behind it that we often want as well. And we're at this stage now where, where Assistant and Alexa are, is the same personality depending on any individual who's using it. Mm-hmm. And I think the next leap forward for this is that personalisation, that notion of being able to apply a personality or a layer or a lens to that voice. And through that, I can have that discussion about music. I can have that 
personality that knows about pop culture or whatever that thing may be. I think that's going to be the way it, it starts to become seamlessly integrated within our lives a bit more. Yes, I mean, there's certainly... An, uh, I understand the emotional attachment with our devices because I went round to somebody else's house and they had an Amazon Echo as well and they asked it something and I was thinking, what's she doing in, in, in their house? <laughs> She's meant to be in my house. And it was a very strange experience because, you know, clearly it's just a machine but there's something else going on there. Heather, please enlighten us. Well, I mean, we, you know, we, we interact as human beings. That's what we're sort of trained to do and so we're looking for to create relationships um, and, you know, all the cues are there. We do it through, you know, voice, through tone and things like that. I thought your point about celebrity was really interesting because we did a study last year looking at whether having a celebrity in an ad actually drove um, a sort of stronger, stronger response to call to action. And generally it doesn't. The only point where it does, and this goes exactly back at what you're saying, is when actually at the point of a call to action delivered by the celebrity. Mm -hmm. So if we just see a celebrity in an ad, we like the celebrity, it doesn't make us want to act more. But if the celebrity is delivering a call to action, it's not the ad telling us what to do, it's a friended, trusted person mm -hmm. giving us some advice. Yep. And I think, again, our, our, our relationship with voice could well develop in the same sort of way if we can develop that relationship. It does need a degree of personalization of, of humanization yeah. for that to happen. I mean, many moons ago, and uh, not many people would know this unless you were watching QVC a few years ago, I used to work on QVC and I was their technology expert and they would talk about you being a trusted guide and the more familiar you were with the audience, the more likely you were to be able to not necessarily sell, but to talk about the technology. And then if someone felt that they trusted you, they would be more likely to buy it. Uh, and in fact, Adam, I think you mentioned very briefly about... Um, voice data, almost, where you're saying, well, when a celebrity says something, we noticed uh, an uplift yeah. compared to... So, please, do you have any more insights on sort of how uh, you can use voice data in this way? Uh, I mean, the word we use a lot, kind of in podcasting, is, is intimacy. And that's the point. It's, I have elected to, to listen to this particular podcast in our instance. So when the, the celebrity voice or the voice I have come to kind of trust is talking about a commercial message or endorsing something and it's seamlessly integrated within the content I'm consuming, I'm much more likely to, to convert on it because I do feel they're that trusted friend. You know, in any given week in, a, in the podcasting kind of scape, you know, you have kind of five shows that you are wedded to, absolutely. So a new show comes along, something has to kind of drop out. It, it, it feels like a very close kind of clique of friends. So that can be very easily abused from a brand perspective. And if the brand fit and the voice don't match... You know, let's talk about Adam Buxton briefly. He hasn't endorsed any of these products. But if it was Adam Buxton talking about um, payday loans or whatever those things may be, th th there would be a jarring there that, that wouldn't work. You have to get that, that right intonation of the voice and the personality and what they represent with the brand and make those two things match. And, and from a data standpoint, again, I think there's a wide open opportunity here to start to match those two things. You know, what does your brand sound like it's interesting about the celebrity thing you know they get paid a huge amount of money to endorse those products but actually where is the benefit in doing that it's in the call to action at the end and the sense of a trusted friend that's what you're you're, you're leapfrogging with cash in that kind of scenario i think so there's going to be a big play between matching voices to brands in a smart way and understanding how the consumer fits within that as well. Because how many times can you switch out the tone and voice of your brand if you're going to create an Alexa skill? You have to think very carefully about what that is and who your audience is. Mm. I think it's a good question for Duncan, actually, the monetization model for voice assistants. <laughs> what do you think that would be? Um, that's tricky. Uh, <laughs> first of all, 
people don't pay for these things. The kind of expectation already is these things are free. It's either on your phone or in the device in your car or home or whatever. Um, and adverts don't work, right? So you can't say, um, you know, Alexa, order me some new printer cartridges. And Alexa says, oh, why are you ordering printer cartridges? Why don't you order some washing powder or something? You know, it's just, it just doesn't work. Um, so I, I think it's really about building the trusted relationships for me that feels where it's going because particularly without the visual cues um, you're probably going to be interacting with a a relatively small set of brands over these devices so by definition you're going to be choosing the ones that you like and you trust and you interact with on a regular basis Um, and it it feels like it's all about being one of those trusted ones. It's the, you know, the half a dozen brands that people talk to on Alexa. You want to be half, one of those half a dozen. How do you get there? How do you make the best Alexa skill so that people can say, oh, that's a really great... You know, every time I... It's a stupid idea, but every, every time I order washing powder, I use the, the drift skill because it's so fantastic. Right? And therefore, you become that trusted partner. It, it feels to me that's the big part of it. That's where we're heading with this stuff. I think it reduces the friction in transaction as well, voice. I mean, I have to regularly stop my son ordering crossbows via um, our Alexa device in the, in the kitchen. He doesn't have a predilection to crossbows, but it's just a thing. Um, How old is he? He's eight, eight years old. That's more plastic crossbows. I just had this vision of about 30 crossbows. Yeah, there's a, there's, I, I, I had to cancel six last week. It's, it's always the crossbows repeatedly. Um, but all it's doing is reducing that. I mean, it's a good case in point. All it's doing is reducing the friction. He can go into the kitchen now and order a crossbow. Whereas before, he had to ask for the phone, get, a, get Amazon out, search, all find of that. Find a credit card. Find a credit card. But then it is about the trusted partners. So, you know, Amazon Prime, Apple, Google, all of these companies have our credit card details. You know, Amazon, I mean, Apple talks a lot, particularly about effectively being a kind of a, a bank or a kind of a proxy bank in a way. That's the trusted mechanism. And I think voice will help us transact in a seamless way. It may not know what we want to order next but when we know what we want to order it's going to make that buying process much easier and we saw that there were kind of the the case of the of the flights and the ordering and all of that that's where it's going to find it's um from a commercial standpoint i think that's where it's going to really work Mm. i think it'll also represent a bit of a shift of power in terms of brand salience that you know in back in the old days of tv advertising and much else salient brands were powerful brands um, and you didn't have much opportunity to challenge a brand to, to sort of make your way against a really strong brand leader. In the days of social media, that's changed a lot. Challenger brands have got all sorts of channels and ways of getting to people. Go, get to, if you get to a voice-dominated world, you're back to a small number of brands you know and interact with. The salient brands become powerful again. So I think there's quite an interesting you know, potential shifting back with the way that brands need to build themselves mm-hmm. in order to control and own a marketplace. But unlike on TV, brands can't kind of pay to play to, to be those alien brands. So if you're going to be one of those five trusted brands uh, which you interact with via voice, you have to offer you know, your, your customers something which they really value. You can't just you know, pay to get in front of them. So, you know, I mean, if, if you look at what, what L'Oreal has been doing with apps, they have a bunch of, of, of apps which are marketing, but they have to, you know, if people are going to download them, they need to do something useful. So I think more and more it's going to be less about, you know, just you know, paid media, and more about investing in services for your customers, which make them value you enough mm. to, to, to take you on as one of those trusted brands. 
that's actually reflected, I think, in the current landscape where if you're offering customers something useful, they're much more likely to take it than you're just sort of showing them something. Buy this thing. It's yeah. like, okay, I'll only buy that if I really need it as opposed to this. It's, it's all about this interaction, isn't it? Um, I think now's probably quite a good opportunity to ask each of you about where you think we're going with voice, what the future of voice is. So I think I'll start with you, Joe, if you want to... Give us an idea. Sure. Yeah. So I, I mean, I mentioned that we we have to be we have to be aware of the limits of voice. And with that said, I think it is going to be pretty ubiquitous among the use cases where it really it really makes sense. Um, what, what I'm excited about with the future of of voice, I mean, you know, it's going to be this this distributed smart you know connectivity which can actually understand what we want rather than just what we're saying. And once we're at that point, we're going to get all, all, all sorts of uh, dividends out of it, right? If you think about what the mobile revolution gave us, it gave us re- really cheap, high-quality, small displays. It made camera technology much better. Uh, and, we're getting, and, you know, small processors and, 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 and GPUs and things like that. Uh, and with voice, you know, we're going to get some, some dividends from that. You know, we could have, you know, small, high-quality, sensitive, sophisticated microphones. We could be able to, you know build sounds from the ground up, as Google is, 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 is looking into. Uh, and natural language processing is going to become a kind of commodity product, which is, is going to be very cheap and anyone can, can plug into. I think that's really exciting, all the stuff that we're going to get from, from voice becoming universal. Okay, brilliant. Heather, what do you think? I think it, it's a lot of things we've been talking about. I think the nature of the interaction will become really important rather than just the message um, that you're, you're communicating. Um, and so it is. It's the tone of voice. It's the... It's, it's getting to a degree of realism. I think the thing you mentioned about Uncanny Valley is really interesting. So we see, so Uncanny Valley is when you get all, something's almost real and not quite, and it becomes creepy. Um, and we see it all the time in visual cues at the moment. If you have something which is um, a visually rendered image that looks almost real and not quite, you get this really strong withdrawal response in the brain. Um, and you'll undoubtedly get the same thing with voice. And it's a really uncomfortable place to be. So you know, I think brands have got to get to this level of interaction and get to this level of... Um, creating relationship with people, but somehow along the way they've got to overcome that particular point because there will be a point in time when it just gets a bit creepy. I think in the video earlier they had uh, a bit where the lady asks which of her child's friends has the the doll mm. and uh, and who's got it on their wish list and who actually owns one. And yeah. do you think there's some? Do you think we will get used to that? The way that we get used to having our emails analysed because we get our email for free, for example. It's. Um, I think we. Do. And I think generationally, people on this panel potentially, I think we maybe have an issue with, with privacy. But I think if we look at a, a generation below, and again, my kind of kids' generation, I don't think they do see that, that same problem. Privacy is not a pressing issue for them. There's that transactional approach again. It's the giving up of information to get something back, which is... Uh, better refined search or whatever it may be it's solving a particular problem for you and they're prepared to give away that privacy location whatever it may be to get access to a circle of friends to understand more about what their friends are are doing i think a little bit Mm. and uh what do you think the future holds for voice i think sometimes um technology moves backwards before it goes forwards and i think we're at a stage now where we have mostly men barking at a subservient woman um (laughs) and i think you know we can go back 50 years wherever it may be we need to evolve from that we need to evolve rapidly Um, The future for me is the Spike Jones film, Her. Um, And I think that that, that solves all of those problems. I mean, it's gone too far and it's this weird kind of dialed-up dystopian future. But I think it's that notion of intimacy, of a sense of familiarity, of a sense of personalisation 
At every kind of juncture in technology, we've always talked about personalization, and the same will happen with voice. That, that Alexa will not be Alexa anymore. It'll be something that's bespoke to me and my family, and its voice and its tone and its understanding of what my needs are when I ask it questions will be specific to our needs as a family and my needs as an individual, and that's when it will start to become, that's when it'll take its kind of next mm-hmm. stage and it'll become utterly ubiquitous in the same way that the mobile has nowadays. You can actually change Alexa's wake word to computer, like in Star Trek. Uh, And also with Google, you can change it to Jarvis. (laughs) Uh, And there's there's lots of little Easter eggs out there. If you're interested, I can bore you with them later on. But there's, I think, that craving of Mm customization. the reason that you can say things like, um, okay, uh, Alexa, play the animal game. And then you can, you can play 20 questions and it, it tries to guess the animal that you're thinking of. Or if you ask uh, Cortana what, the, what she thinks of Siri, it's, they've all got these sort of witty bits. There is this urge, isn't there, to connect on a human level. Um, so, Duncan, uh, talking of humans, you're human. What do you think, <laughs> Today, <anyway. laughs> what, what do you think the future of voice will be? Uh, um, I'm just thinking of the, the comment about... Um, men barking at female assistants. Um, I have an uh, uh, echo at home, and um, it's my party trick when it's playing music to, to say to Alexa, Alexa, shut up. Mm-hmm. And my wife always complains and says, you know, you should be more polite to Alexa. <laughs> and she always says, Alexa, please be quiet. <laughs> I say thank you to Siri, though. And it says you're welcome. So there is, there is this strange protocol that we haven't quite there is. Um, cracked yet. There is. Um, the, the future, I, I think, for, for me, uh, it, it sounds silly, but I, I really think we're building the sci-fi movie. Um, you know, there's a reference earlier, that, that, and I, I always say, as a challenge to people, go and find me a sci-fi music m- movie where there's a mouse, or you know, people are using graphical interfaces. There aren't any. Every single sci-fi movie, the computers you interact with through voice, and there's a pretty good reason for that, and that that is because they're taking all of the constraints away. So if you're writing one of these things, you don't have any constraints on what's possible. So you can envisage the perfect computer. And everybody envisages the perfect computer as something you interact with in the same way that you interact with a human. So for me, it is completely inevitable that that's where we're heading to. It's just a case of we're on a path to get there and some bits are better than other bits and we're going to get there. You know, probably in our lifetimes, we will have the thing that's like you know, the computers on S- Star Trek. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just randomly remembered in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where um, Arthur Dent asks the shipboard computer to make a cup of tea, and it just stops absolutely everything else, uh, and then you know, completely still in space while it works out how to make a cup of tea. And uh, but still, that was written in what the seventies, late seventies, and we're looking at voice interaction then. And, uh, yes, there's definitely this craving, isn't there, to connect, which I think, um, I think we all have, whether it's with another piece of machinery or each other. Um, at this point, I'm going to say, if there are any questions, I think we've got time for one or two questions. We do have, I think, a roving microphone, don't we? I've got one down here. So if you do, just stick... Ah, I knew there'd be some questions. There's a couple up there, and there's one down there. Hello. Um, hi, my name's uh, Marcy. I'm from content agency Frank and Lively. I'm going to ask a controversial question. Um, so there was jokes about um, the subservient female, but there has been some criticism that voice technology will just reinforce sexist stereotypes because all the voices are female. I was just wondering what your comments on that and how that links to tone of voice and what you want your brand to say. Okay, that's a great question. What do you think? Who wants to go first? Okay. 
Uh, well, Siri, you can choose whether it's a man or, or a woman. Um, so, so I think we're probably evolving from that stereotypical assistant thing. Um, I, I don't really understand why that started, actually. But it, it, that, for me, it feels... You know, I think we were talking about different voices for different brands, yeah. and it feels to me these things are going to uh, mature from just being you know, the, the Alexa voice to you know, a whole variety of different voices yeah. that you can choose... You know, it's like on the sat nav, right? You could buy, you know, John Cleese voice to bark at you in the car. You know, I, I think we'll get to the point where these things, you can choose what kind of voice it is, whether it's a man or woman, whether it's got an accent or not, etc. I think it's got implications for brands, though. I mean, if a brand's going to have a voice, literally, is it male, female? Is yeah. it young, old? Has it got a regional accent? Because all of those things are going to communicate something about the brand. You know, we can brain response to men and women is massively different. It's very different amongst men and women as well. Um, and so, you know, at a subconscious level, we might be aware of those things can have a massive impact. It's like if you look at the, the selection of voiceover actors in commercials right now, which is kind of a common parallel, you know, there's a lot of brands, finance brands in particular, tend to go for male northern. There's a sense of it's kind of trusted and they're trying to obfuscate from the fact that their financial brand's trying to fleece you. <laughs> it, it's interesting to see how some of that logic and thinking, which brands are already familiar with, will start to infiltrate into this world. I think it just happens that the default right now is the trusted female voice, and we're, at, we're literally at kind of the, the ground floor in this, and it will evolve accordingly. And I think, uh, I have no doubt that it will, and I think that there is some debate in what's going on right now, but I think it, it, it's a passing point, really, in where we're headed. Uh, in fact, it's worth mentioning the Nest smoke alarm actually did some research to find the most likely thing to wake you up in the event of a fire. And they said it was a low-frequency human-female voice and uh, and a higher-pitched noise. And so at the same time, if I'm cooking, um, then the thing goes, alarm will sound, there is smoke, there is smoke. It's like, yes, really? Because I am cooking. And now you can just throw your app at it. I I want to shout at my my smoke alarm, I'm cooking. We're not quite there yet, but uh, I think there's probably an integration somewhere that allows for it. So there is, I think there's some really interesting, um, what's the word, exploration to be had in terms of what we listen to. I stick with the default voice for all of the things that I'm interacting with voice-wise, I don't know if I would m- mind that much if it's a, a lady or a gentleman speaking, but you I know that we don't want a robot, do we? But it'll subconsciously have a diff- make a difference. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, part, what, what brands want to do in your brain is, is get into memory, and one of the drivers of memory is personal relevance. Mm-hmm. And if we perceive something to be personally relevant to us, we remember more of what we're hearing. So yeah. you know, it really matters commercially as well as you know, from a point of view of our own feelings about these things. I think Stephen Hawking has an uncustomised voice from many years ago. It was the IBM via voice, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, when we built Watson, when we competed on the the Jeopardy game show, the the voice that was used for that was very scientifically analysed, and we created a series of different types of voices and researched the impact on people, how they felt about those voices. (laughs) Um, And we actually had a a small child's voice, because there was somebody on the team who felt that this was a... A, a ch- this computer was like a child and it was going to grow up and it's going to get more sophisticated over time and they felt that was sort of a, a, a neat way, a cute way of projecting an image um, but everybody reacted in a hugely negative way to it and said it was just hugely creepy to have this child's voice Precocious. knowing everything about yes. everything, it was just, just wasn't good It's learning I think that there is, there is a potential problem here though which is that uh, you know, brands are going to do this research and they're going to, to find out how people res- what people respond best to but often that's just going to be reinforcing people's biases anyway right? You know, it, it might be the case that, we, that people like 
you know, having a subservient female assistant to particularly early adopter men. But that doesn't mean that it's, you know, good to give them what they want in that, in that instance. We have a chance to kind of change attitudes with this as well as just play to them. That's brilliant. Okay, we have some questions up here, don't we? Hello. Hello, LJ. Um, my name's Nick Ryan. Uh, I'm a friend of LJ. Oh, yeah, hi. Hello. How are you doing? All right, thank you. <laughs> Um, and uh, I contributed a little bit to the report as well. And I, one thing that came up in my conversation um, when I was being interviewed for the report was um, I'd quite like to ask a bit more, and we haven't touched on it at all, and I think it's very important in a world where uh, we have voice-activated systems and uh, machines, but also voice-activated uh, selling, uh, is ethics. Um, and I wonder, I'd like to know what the panel thinks about where the boundaries exist, um, where we're ascribing anthropomorphic characteristics to artificial intelligence. And there's a, there's a sort of, um, I'm sure most of us have heard about the um, European ruling on applying kill switches to artificially intelligent robots. Um, and I'm wondering... Yeah, where the ethical boundaries are here. Okay, navigating the moral maze of voice. I think that's a great last question before we wrap up, actually. Um, so, who wants to go first with that one? Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not surprising, because there is something very sensitive here. So, um, I think, Heather, I think you're going to be the I, I, I knew you were going to look at me with <laughs> that, you're you know, so doing weird brain stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, and it's a very real question, or a very real issue, because the more realistic these things become, the more susceptible we will become to them. Um, in principle, it's no different to having a salesman in front of you, and that salesperson will read your mood and you know, adapt the message accordingly. But until now, the things we've had in the public domain or, or broadcast um, communication hasn't been that subtle. It will start to become more subtle. And I think it's something that you know, we have to become aware of, not just from the point of view of you know, commercial people and brands, but also consumers. Um, and I think there will be a big debate about, about where it finishes. But I think the subtlety is something that consumers actually crave. I think the notion of the brain imaging you had up there, and actually people are a lot less stressed when they're using voice to activate something than they are versus tapping on a screen. I think it's actually the thing we crave. And if we look at kind of ethics right now, you know, we're bombarded with messages we don't want on a regular basis. You know, probably 1% of those kind of commercial messages are, are relevant to us. If we're moving towards a world where that's seamlessly integrated again and those messages are tailored to us and it is it's subsumed into our consciousness slightly, it's not over this is an ad or piece of branded content or whatever it may be or product placement, I think the consumers actually want that. And I think it's, we're not yet at the point where the brands are going to be pulling the wool over our eyes and upselling us on, on loans. I think there is a potential for that, but I think that's, it's so far off right now that this kind of ethical moral maze, um, I, I'm not sure we have to engage with it right now. I think we can wait until the technology has evolved. There was an interesting thing about Elon Musk who is one of the, the um, investors in DeepMind who are kind of based out of King's Cross that Google bought a couple of years ago. And he said he invested in the company to stop it becoming his fear of AI, is kind of AI taking over the world, and he's invested in this company to stop that from happening. I just don't buy that at all. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's nonsense. I think there is a, a sense of, you know, when that singularity happens and AI is this thing, we'll all sit back in, in wonder, and then the ethical debate can begin, as far as I'm concerned. I, I, I think we're a bit early. I, I'm not sure I agree we can sit back. Um, there's some weird stuff going on. I, I had um, one of these ro robots, and so not Pepper, which is the, the big one, it's about this tall. I had um, a Neo, which is a small mm -hmm. robot, it's about this tall. 
It's white plastic, same as Pepper. Um, it's very cute, right? It has a, a cute voice, and it, when it stands still, it doesn't stand still. It kind of sways side to side. So <laughs> they're trying to make it a bit human-like. Um, and I picked this thing up from America, and I came back, and I got home, and my wife had some friends in the house. And uh, I got the robot out just to show it off. And uh, everybody referred to it as he, right? And, and it's clearly a really stupid robot. It's plastic, right? It's, it's not that clever. But it speaks, and it, it kind of sways, and it moves its arm around, and it could dance to Michael Jackson's thriller, and just people thought it was amazing. And I, I just, it just struck me that if something that's so rudimentary in its AI capabilities people are referring to as he, then when we get something which is even half intelligent, um, you know, I, I worry a bit <laughs> because we, we tend to think of these things as people very easily. Um, you know, if you turn, uh, they did a research on whether if you turn a Furby upside down and it makes a distressed noise, most people <laughs> would turn it the right way up again. So it doesn't even need to look that human. Exactly. <laughs> um, Joe, a last word from you, I think, about the moral maze that we have to navigate. Yeah, well, I mean, I think um, uh, what, uh, what Duncan said at the end, that, that he worries, I think that is kind of all we can do right now. And my worry is that uh, the tech companies aren't worrying enough <clears throat> about it. Right, you know, I think that, that bad norms can get, you know, can become uh, set as the technology grows if we haven't built in ethics from the beginning. So they have to be, you know, thinking about this, I think, uh, and, and doing so transparently. And on the kind of you know, monetization side uh, about whether people would be manipulated, uh, I think there's a general problem in the tech industry that, uh, you know, they aren't transparent about how they're making their money, uh, about, you know, what they're doing with your data. Uh, these are all things they could be better at. I mean, you know, s- surveys uh, asking people, how do you think Google search makes money? It turns out most people just don't know. And I think that, that, that is a problem and does, does, uh, does like, open people up to, to, to being um, exploited. Wow. Well, well, I think we're out of time, which is a real shame because I'm sure we could all chat about this for quite a lot longer. So uh, it's a great place to leave it. I get the feeling this is the start of a, of, a, of a very interesting conversation. It's a fascinating morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I just need to do a few thank yous. On behalf of J. Walter Thompson Innovation Group, Mindshare Futures and J. Walter Thompson London, I'd like to thank the panellists as well, Heather, Adam, Duncan and Joe. And thank you to Sennheiser and Blue Ripple for the sound tech. And thank you to Marie and Jeremy and the wonderful Mina Ryan. And thank you all very much for coming. Uh, Have a lovely rest of the day. Thank you.